Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here and this week on the podcast I'm joined by Sophia Ahmed where we talk about how she escaped a rut to start her own design studio. But before we get into that I want to thank my friends over at Webflow who have kindly sponsored this episode. For several years I worked for a web design agency where I would be relying on developers to build what I had designed. And that was often frustrating, especially when things wasn't built right. And we'd end up having lots of back and forth um, feedback and, and changes. But thanks to Webflow, I can now design and build everything on my own. We as designers, we're used to learning visual software like Photoshop, Sketch, Figma, and so on. But none of those tools actually output production code. But Webflow takes that next step by bringing the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript into a visual interface. So we as designers can build completely custom websites without worrying about writing code. I've been using Webflow to build my own uh, website and to build client sites too. So I honestly think it's the best thing out there at the moment for designers to build websites. So I highly recommend that you check it out and you can do that by heading to wfl.io forward slash logo geek. And you can even get 10% off any new annual plan by using the promo code LOGOGEEK, which is available only for the first 50 who use that code. So anyway, on this week's show, we're talking about uh, quite a serious topic. At some point in your life, your career, or you might even be in that place now, you might just end up getting stuck in a rut stuck in a pattern of doing the same thing day in, day out, without making any progress. But you're quietly going on, repeating the same pattern of activities day on day. I've been in this place myself and my guest this week, Sophia Ahmed, she's been in this same place too. For both myself and Sophia, it took quite dramatic personal life changes to force us to look back on our lives and make the necessary changes to get out of that rut and make progress. So I I hope that this honest, vulnerable conversation between myself and Sophia will inspire you and hopefully give you the kick that you might need to make a change for the better in your own life. Sophia actually worked her way out of that rut by starting her own design agency, Monograph and Co. And through that company, she works with other partners to expand her capabilities and offer the best possible experience for her clients. In this interview, we discuss how she went about starting her own agency, how she also works with partners, how she was able to leave a dead-end job to start her own thing, 
and the motivation needed to get out of a rut. And then we end the discussion talking through her process for designing a brand identity. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Sophia Ahmed. You now run your own design agency, Monograph and Co. Yes. For a lot of designers, that's the ultimate dream, I think, to have your own design agency. So I'm curious to learn from you. What was the events that led to you to set up your own agency? Well, okay, yeah, I think there were quite a few events. Um, a lot of them were personal. I think I have a very personal note, but mm-hmm. in, a, in a general sense, I think that for me, I was just very uncomfortable with how things were going in my life at that point. You know, I was working at a job where um, it was just no longer giving me what I needed. And you know, it was just time for me to move on. And I didn't want to move on and get another position somewhere else. I had my own ideas, my own dreams. And I think I was just in a very uncomfortable spot. So it just pushed me to jump um, and to take that leap. Of course, you know, you can, one would plan as much as they can before they leave a job, before they make a move to be a business owner full time. But, but yeah, I think it was just, you know, being in a place where you're uncomfortable, if you're comfortable with how things are, if you're, if you're okay with the status quo and, you know, just kind of trucking along, you're not going to really have much motivation to, to do something like this because it is difficult. It is difficult to go your own way and to start your own thing. And there's a lot of challenges, which I think is why a lot of people have a lot of hesitations um, to do something like that. But when you find yourself in a point where you're just, you've had enough, um, you know, it's the age old saying of life is, is short and it is it's very short very fickle um mm-hmm. you know you gotta just do it you just gotta go for it so was you in a graphic design job previously or was it something totally unrelated to the graphic design no it was a design job um thankfully most of the jobs i've held in my life were are design or creative mm-hmm. um in one way or another but yeah the job that i held was was design related. I was um, definitely utilizing my knowledge, but it wasn't to my fullest capacity. It was kind of stunt, stunted, you know. So I was kind of going in every day and just doing kind of what I was told to do, and and just just doing work that I felt wasn't really encompassing my own vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there was just no way I could do that unless I did it on my own. Like unless I went my own way, pursued my own goals of what I wanted to build and what I wanted to see as an agency that I wasn't finding in the jobs that I held so yeah well I I can I can relate because just before the call I I mentioned to you that in uh at the beginning of March I took that leap to full-time I was already part-time anyway but I can relate with that because the agency that I was working at I was basically just doing it for the money and nothing that I was doing was particularly special it's not something that I would put in my portfolio I just kind of did it you know because that was what I was doing at that time and it was only what I was doing at home in my personal time through my own personal projects that I um, was working on more fulfilling work so in so with that jump, 
Mm-hmm. So you, you you left that job and and you decided to set up on your own. What kind of projects was it for you that that seemed a lot more fulfilling? You know, I think that um, working in uh, niche markets like food and beverage, fashion, beauty, retail was something that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and that's where my stylistic approach, I think, really excelled and was valued the most within those clientele. So it was projects like that that were very thoughtful, very creative, but artistic as well. I think um, mixing uh, a sense of, you know, artistry and design and and strategy, kind of doing those three things um, together, bringing a project to, to life with those elements was really, really intriguing to me. Um, I'm very, very fortunate to also have two amazing creative partners who do um, photography and styling for the same niche markets as well. And, and the three of us kind of had the same feeling, the same goal of just wanting to do high-level work for a very specific clientele who um, could really use our, our creative process, but also value the work that we do and see, see potential in it. So it was, it was those things that really drive and motivated the idea behind studios. And then, of course, just having an agency um, that, you know, really did good work and, and had really good relationships with clientele and just try to do good things for good people. Mm. I like what you said about working with partners because I know it's, it's something that a lot of graphic designers uh, think about because when, when they take that leap, they're trying to make their mind up whether they want to be under their own name or if they want to create a, uh, a studio. And I, I generally advise that if you want to work with other people and grow it in the way that you are, then it makes sense to actually build an agency. But I, I think, I mean, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like the approach that you're taking is rather than actually hiring people, you're still working as an independent graphic designer. But when you want to expand your services, so you mentioned about the photography and the other mm-hmm. things, you're basically partnering with other people. So as and when you need to offer the client more services, you can do that just by leveraging the the skills of those people that you partnered with. Is, is that the case? Yeah, I think you touched on it pretty well. So the idea is to have other uh, designers on the team to hear, handle various um, projects and various tasks. Um, but the overarching idea behind Monograph is to partner with other amazing creatives who do fantastic work and bring the clientele a very full creative experience, something that hopefully is different than what they may have experienced at other studios. So mm-hmm. partnering up with an amazing stylist or an amazing interior design studio to then bring a project to the forefront and have even more resources to create something even more phenomenal is kind of the idea behind the studio. So Monograph and Co and company, meaning mm-hmm. and and others. Um, and Monograph being a, a writing terminology for focusing on one task at a time, um, focusing on one thing at a time, and just, you know, really putting all your energy into that. So I think that's the kind of ethos of the company. It's like focusing diligently on one's craft and 
combining that work ethic with other people who have phenomenal work ethic and, and, and work and then bringing that to the client so you can have a project that goes from good to great to great to phenomenal. And I think that's, that's the, the desire as we work towards building the studios to create something that really is a completely different experience. Mm, mm. I love that approach. I, I, I mean, I, I think that's quite easy for other designers to replicate. So I, I think employing staff is quite daunting, mm-hmm. uh, but expanding your services by collaborating with partners is, is a really nice way to do it. And we've touched on it on previous episodes in the past, but you mentioned it then as well that the, the people that you are working with, it's not conflicting skill sets, it's complementary. Mm-hmm. So they specialize in in things that would en- enhance the client's overall experience. But, uh, you know, each of you add your own um, element to it, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, uh, definitely. So yeah, again, I think you nailed it. Um, it's about finding those complementary um, things. It's not about us being able to do everything on our own, but it's about seeking out those those partnerships and and those those um, you know down the line friendships that you, you create yeah. with with other amazing creative individuals who know how to do their thing and they do it exceptionally well. Um, everybody kind of grows their companies. Everybody um, you know gets to to partake in, in doing good work. Mm. Could I be slightly nosy and sure. try and understand a little bit more how it? works when you work in this way so i i take it that monograph and co is basically your baby you operate it um inquiries and everything come into you how does it work when say you get a project and you need uh two other people to come in do you basically hire them for that specific task i guess what i'm trying to understand is how does it work in terms of working out pricing and, and allocating the task to the other people? Like, do, does it all come under you, so to speak? <laughs> right. So um, if I'm hiring an employee, that would be kind of like an employee uh, basis. Yeah. Um, but when we are hiring someone like a photographer, for example, for example, the partners that I have, they handle their businesses separately. So, the way I do it is um, I take care of the design. So I press out what it would cost for me to be the designer um, and what uh, my resources would take and scope of work and things of that nature. And then the photography would be priced with the photographers and the stylists. So they would say, this is how much we need. Um, this is how much it would cost for us to style this and photograph this piece. Um, and then they would either give me that price and not send it to the client mm-hmm. as one invoice, or um, sometimes in some cases the client will deal with the photographers in terms of pricing. And then when it comes to the work, as long as everybody's getting paid and everybody knows what their tasks are and what their role is in the project, we can work comfortably together to, to see the project through. And I think that the benefit of that is when the price, like the people who are pricing get their fair share and they know exactly what that is, um, and they deal with their money in their own regard. And um, with that being said, you can also come together as the designer, as the stylist, and work together rather than working separately. 
So everybody has an idea of where the project is going. Everybody has their input. And that's how you can get, I think, a lot more stronger, um, impactful work. Mm-hmm. So I hope that mm-hmm. answers your question. Okay. Oh, yeah, it does. It's a nice way to operate because I'm um, a, a solo business and I have no intent at all of hiring someone else. Right. I'm quite likely to always work from home because one of the main reasons for uh, wanting to go full time is so that I can watch my little one uh, grow mm-hmm. up and get Trying. to see her in the day. You know, it's... it's yeah. um, I guess more of a lifestyle business, so to speak. Right. Um, but it's interesting speaking that like the, the, the more more people I speak to, mm-hmm. it's quite common that graphic designers with complementary skill sets, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you won't get a designer working with another designer. It's normally uh, a designer with a developer or mm-hmm. with a photographer or, you know, with a group of people that are all operate independently, mm-hmm. but sell their services under like this umbrella so that they can all team up as and when needed it seems like a really nice way to go about scaling without actually needing to worry about you know hiring staff in a traditional way or having you know an office building or any of the usual um, things that come with a, a more traditional agency model Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that um, right now for us, because we're still a a small group, um, it works perfectly. And then, you know, like you said, it's something that you can scale. So it's, it's, it's not set in stone. You know, we're constantly um, refining and making things better. And the more projects you get, you know, every project you get on your desk is different. Um, There's always something different, uh, something Mm -hmm. unique about it. Um, You know, it's something that will constantly review and, and try to make better within ourselves. But as you said, it, it is a great way to scale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind going back to how you mentioned that you was stuck in that job and you was kind of stuck in a bit of a rut and you, you wanted to get out of that. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why you started your own company. Mm-hmm. I would assume that's probably quite common in the graphic design space that people are in a a graphic design job and they would like to have their own freedom and escape that and start their own thing and you've been successful at doing that I've also been able to do that myself mm-hmm. so I wouldn't mind finding out from you and I'm, I mean you went into it briefly but going into a little bit more detail mm-hmm. how did you actually go about escaping that job <laughs> right. did you just quit and and start your own thing or was there any form of overlap between the uh, two of them um so I didn't just quit um I wanted to to move on and I was just in a very uncomfortable spot um I think in my life and I one of one of the things that I, I really wanted to just to have um accountability and, and a more control over my life and and the work that I do um and how I and how I live right and what I do with my time and how I spend my time um, and who I spend it with. So when I decided that that's what I wanted to do, and that I want to have my own things, have my own my own ideas of what I wanted my business to look like, uh, I started to plan what I needed. And what I needed was some runway, um, and I needed to get in the spot where leaving my job would give me enough time to try to build something 
um, something tangible. So it took me about nine months to leave uh, the job that I had. Uh, and within that nine months, I was planning. So I ended up getting um, a bit of a business loan, uh, which was really great. Uh, we have a fantastic um, entrepreneurship um, program here in, in, in Canada, in British Columbia, um, that allows young entrepreneurs to kind of get a little bit of money and some, some resources to, to leave uh, one's job. But it took a long time to fill out application forms and get approved and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I did things of that nature. And I just try to do everything I knew that I could to help myself be better prepared. Um, you know, you'll never be fully 100% prepared. There's always the unknown. But I did the best I could to to get all my resources lined up. And when it did line up and I was ready to um, to to start, that's when I kind of put in my notice for two weeks and said, okay, well, you know, it was great, but it's time for me to move forward. Um, but yeah, it took about nine months to plan. So it took mm. a while. It took a while. Yeah, but I I think that's a, a really important thing to to say because graphic designers that are successful that are in kind of a dead end job that they want to leave you can't well I I don't believe that you can just step away without having any form of preparation unless you have the support of parents or family or whatever mm-hmm. um but you're probably in the same position as me where you have bills to pay you've got responsibilities you can't just quit a job and right. and hope for the best which I, I've seen people do you you, you do need to ha- have something operating already so that when you do step away you have clients already coming to you you know they can already find you um and, and so on and because that that's that's exactly what I did um mine was over quite a long period of time because uh I didn't actually plan to step away in in the same way as you mm-hmm. I built what's now a logo geek as a bit of a hobby but I scaled it on the side of a full-time job and then I got to a point where I was just too busy so I, I went part-time mm-hmm. and then once I felt quite comfortable that I could fully sustain my current lifestyle and you know bring in more money than my part-time job then Mm -hmm. that's when I stepped away but obviously not I don't think everyone has the opportunity to be able to go um, part-time I'm curious to ask so you got that loan yes would you mind sharing what you did with that because I mean money's money what would you do with it did you get a website do you yeah buy things that you needed like equipment what type of things did you invest in so i got a i got a fifteen thousand dollar loan um which is which is in canadian dollars mm-hmm. um and what it went to was um helping me stay afloat i had the tools i needed i didn't you know luckily i don't need and even now at this point i don't need a lot of tools you know i need a laptop um yeah a few a few things of that nature, which I kind of already had, right? Because I was already working um, a design job anyway. So um, I didn't really need to upgrade anything um, other than like some basics, like maybe a hard drive or something of that nature. Um, but the money basically went to me staying afloat, paying bills, mm-hmm. things of that aspect. So I could continue to accumulate clients. So it was, it was acting as runway, right? 
Some yeah. people say yeah. that they save up three or four months of rent wage. So when they don't have many clients or enough. Um, and then, of course, I went to a, a bunch of other resources too, like um, marketing and, and things like that, um, and a few a few supplies. But that's what the money was there for. It was basically there as a, you know, you're not working. You have no income. Yeah. yeah. Um, while you're trying to gain more clientele, what do you do, right? Um, <laughs> so it, it was a bit of a mixed bag, but but yeah, it, it was it was doing that. Um, it was it was a small bit of runway, you know, fifteen fifteen k, um, depending on where you live, may or may not go very far at all. Um, but it was the best, you know. Again, it was like doing the best you can with what you have, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's what I had. It was definitely helpful. It would it wouldn't have been very helpful if I left that job and didn't have any income, right, whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so it was helpful in that nature, and it was big enough to to cover me for a little bit. It was small enough to make me move, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like if you if you have a little bit, you can try to stretch as much as you can, but at the same time, you got to make some <laughs> some bold moves, right? <laughs> if you're gonna keep if you're gonna keep going, so it kind of pushed me as well to to make some bold, uh, nerve wracking moves. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where that money went to. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, it's nice that you had that option because it meant that you could probably fast track what, what you did because I, um, prior to me going full time in the way that I did because, uh, my, my partner doesn't work. Um, she's a, a stay at home, uh, mum now raising mm-hmm. our uh, little daughter and I've got a mortgage and, and bills and everything like that so it, in the household all the pressure is on me like it's mm-hmm. it's my sole responsibility to bring in enough income so taking that leap seemed at a very high risk especially at the beginning you know it's, it's a very daunting thing to do especially if you never uh, worked for yourself right. uh, full time in, in in the way that both of us have. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did to protect myself, you did it in a different way. You was able to get that that loan, uh, but I saved up as much as I could. Like I worked every hour I could from the because I I had to give a two month notice. So mm-hmm. over that two month period, I just worked as much as I possibly could. <laughs> Um, but I also was lucky that with the podcast, I, I was able to get a, a, a sponsor for a whole six month block and they paid it all in one go in about February. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a really nice runway. And I mean, it, I'm sure it was the same with you. It meant that you could um, sit down and focus on building your business right. and not having to stress about making enough money that week because <laughs> yeah. I think that I think that's the thing that I found is or has been on the back of my mind for the first few months of being full-time it's easy to get bogged down in the work but actually the work isn't what makes you money you need to keep making sales and you, you know the mm-hmm. work gets done in, in between so mm-hmm. I've always been focusing on that but with the runway it's just a case of just keeping on top of it and making sure that I I never go below a certain amount. And now I'm actually quite comfortable and and hopefully you're in the same place. I know that was, uh, was that two years ago now? Yeah, two years, two years, yeah. Yeah. And have you been able to pay off all that 
loan and everything and you're fully independent now? <laughs> Almost there. It's a bit yeah. of a, a balance. Um, you know, uh, business is kind of a balance. Like, you know, sometimes you're doing very well. Other times you, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm doing really great. And other days you're like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing great at all. What was I thinking? <laughs> Why did I think that? Um, but it, it, it's a balance. But, you know, I think that the most important thing is when you look back, I and mean, I look back at who I was when I left my position versus who I am right now, having this conversation with you, there's such a tremendous amount of growth um, yeah. and knowledge and ability to to do better work. Um to just be able to have better conversations with individuals, um, just just the amount of growth. Um, yeah. So, so with that being said, I mean things have have grown exponentially. Just and and there's so many categories, right? There's like personal growth, there's like business growth, there's financial growth, and I've seen growth happen on all, all those sectors. It's not 100 percent where I think me and my business partners would like it to be, but we're getting there. And every day it's like another step to, to getting this to be even more big and more, more fulfilled. So, um, yeah, to answer your question, it's, it's there, you know, it's, it's further along than I could imagine. Um, still always a lot more work to do, but, um, happy with the journey and the process that's mm-hmm. happening right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome to hear that you're growing and I think for anyone that's thinking of doing the the same thing, one thing I would add is that you do need a lot of uh, self-motivation. Like you you have to, like uh, nothing happens unless you make it happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all of this growth that you've done, that's been fully reliant on you pushing yourself to do that because it it's easy to sit down and do nothing. (laughs) I just want to take a short break to thank Webflow who have kindly sponsored this episode. Webflow gives designers like you the power of code in a visual interface, allowing you to directly build whatever you have in mind without the need for a developer. Webflow's whole thesis is that designers are used to learning complex visual software like Photoshop, Sketch, Figma, and so on, but none of those tools actually output production code. Webflow takes that next step by bringing the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript into a visual interface so that we as designers can build completely custom designs without worrying about writing code. It's the power of code without writing it. I've used it for my own website and for my clients' websites too, and I highly recommend that you check it out. Just head to wfl.io forward slash logogeek and you can get 10% off any new annual plan by using the promo code logogeek, which is available only for the first 50 who use that promo code. Now let's get back to that interview. You're incredibly motivated. So you, you've done a lot of uh, self growth. You built up the the partners. You've obviously developed the the website. You're you're doing all of this stuff on your own. Do you have any support system or any methods that you're using to to help you uh, work 
through that so that you do remain uh, quite motivated? Yeah, I think that um, honestly, you know, when you're doing anything in life that, you know, requires a lot of self-motivation, um, which I think everything kind of does, mm-hmm. um, you just have to have a very strong why, a very strong reason for doing what you're doing that goes beyond the material. Um, you know, so it's, it's fine to, to want to make a good amount of money. It's fine to want to have nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, I feel like you have to have a very strong why that exceeds that. And I think that I, I do. I think that, you know, a lot of that for me comes from my personal experiences of just, you know, being, being caught in some very difficult times, you know, um, going through loss and grief, um, you know, losing my parents in a way brought that on uh just being in a in a very difficult sort of financial situation just kind of being on your own you know Mm -hmm. and just just kind of realizing that um kind of like i touched on earlier you know life is uh is very short and um you never know when your time's going to be up uh, it could happen to at any time or you could lose even more people that you love at any moment in time. Mm-hmm. So um, I find that to be very, it, it pushes me to try to go the extra mile or it pushes me to, to constantly be uncomfortable because um, being comfortable and, and, and kind of just being okay with things isn't going to give me the life that I want um, to lead. It's not going to really make me the person I want to be. So it's those factors for me that really motivate me. And again, it comes from a place of a very strong, very personal kind of why. Like, why are you doing this? What does this mean to you? What is this for? And this, and so I think that, you know, having something like that that motivates you from the inside, from a deeper place, really, really helps that sense of self-motivation. Mm, I can relate a lot with that because... Um, I mentioned early on that in terms of my progression going from working for a company to being fully independent as I am now, I actually did that in stages. So I went part-time for a period of time, but what I actually did at that time was handed in my notice to go full-time. And um, they they offered me part-time at that point. But the reason why I made that change is probably similar to you in terms of personal reasons. But my my mum passed away not long before. Yeah. Um, she had vascular dementia and I I got to spend time with her in a care home and you see other people in that same position. Mm-hmm. And in the end, she, she passed away. And um, after that, the one thing that I got from it was that I don't want to get to that point in my life and look back and regret having not done anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been building Logo Geek on the side for a long time, just as a hobby. It was never anything too serious, but I could see that I was missing opportunities and mm-hmm. I, I could see that this could be something that could grow beyond anything I ever imagined. But I was kind of stuck in this place in a similar way to you, where I was working full time for a company, I was quite comfortable there. It was my main source of income in terms of my goals. That's what I always wanted to do was just work for another company and just work my way up. But when my mum passed away, just thinking, I don't want to regret anything. Yeah. So I actually did a lot of stuff, you know, it 
it was the kick I needed to make a change and it sounds like it was the case for you so I just don't want to regret anything so it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast because I I used to say no I've always had social anxiety so Mm -hmm. anything like what we're doing now I would say no to it so being on audio being on video being in front of a group of people that's when I did the Milo podcast called SciGig and that gave me a bit of confidence to start my own. And anyone that listens back, you know, season one, I'm so nervous. But now I've worked through that and quite comfortable and quite independent. And it sounds like that was very much the same for you. So I, I agree with you that you you need that thing that's greater than anything. <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever go back to working for um, someone else unless I feel that it's working towards my long-term goals in some way (laughs) no yeah I agree and I think I think you and I have very similar experiences same thing yeah you know I I remember my mother being in hospital in many different facilities and you know just 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 being there you know I'd I'd work all day and then I'd I'd go to the hospital late at night to sit with my mother till till you know visiting hours were over Mm -hmm. you know and it, it was just high anxiety very high anxiety, very high stress, very unfulfilled. And, you know, you go visit your parent and you see all these other people around suffering, mm-hmm. suffering with, uh, with illness. And you see your parents suffering at the same time. Um, you know, if that doesn't motivate you to move, you know, yeah. like, wow, like that, it, it, for me, it's like, I don't want to have any regrets, but at the same time, it's like, well, this could be me in like 10 years yeah. you know, or, or 20 years. And that's not a lot of time. Like, these years just fly by. Like everybody says it all the time, right? Like, oh, I can't believe it's the end of the year. I can't believe it's, you know, the new year. It's like these years just fly by. And all of a sudden you're like, you know, your health is gone. Like my health was horrible mentally, physically. Yeah, I just I just didn't want to see that. And also I wanted to be there for my, my, my mother. I wanted to be there for my loved ones. And I wouldn't be able to be there if, if I'm not healthy. And I wouldn't be able to be there for them if I was living a life that was very unsatisfactory um and the pay wasn't very well either so it's not I can even bank on that and be like well at least I'm making x amount of dollars like it 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 was just all around bad and it was it was that thing that motivates you and so sometimes when you're when you're doing something um and it's particularly difficult those those memories I think just pop up right and and you're just like it, it just it like you said it just gives you that kick it's just like you just get that that massive kick and you're like no I'm gonna go for it I'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. I know um I don't know if you're a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk Gary V Mm -hmm. one piece of motivational advice he actually says you're gonna die (laughs) and it's something that you can look at as quite a morbid thing but it is fact you know it does happen to everybody and as you grow older because of the length of time of a year compared to the length of time that you lived is um you know you compare it each year a year will ultimately start to feel faster and faster and faster mm-hmm. so when you're a child you, you you live your one year that's your entire life so when you get another year it's like your entire life all, all over again. So when you're young, mm-hmm. a year just feels like forever. It's, I think it's because you're at school as well. You don't want to be at school. <laughs> right. um, but <laughs> but when you get older, 
there might be some listeners now that could feel one or two ways they could either hear this and feel down mm-hmm. uh, which is understandable but I think it's important to look at it in the way that we both have mm-hmm. I think that's an important lesson because I've spoken about this type of thing with a lot of people and whenever I bring it up with people that are older you know in their 40s or in their 50s mm-hmm. they generally say you're lucky that you realize that at a young age because some people get to like 60 70 and then realize oh gosh I wasted all that time so that is such a huge motivator Mm -hmm. um I remember when I was young my my sister said to me if you want to do something you need to do it now (laughs) and I've taken that quite literally so you know if you want to write a book stop talking about writing it stop going to seminars about writing it stop going to you know meetups group chats all this sort of stuff stop talking about it actually just sit down and get on with it (laughs) Mm -hmm. because that's the thing that ultimately makes a difference you can talk about going on a holiday or you can talk about building that website or going full-time or getting this client or working with that type of person Mm -hmm. but once you've got the knowledge that you need just sit down and get on with it (laughs) because you know there's there's finite time it's not infinite if you want to do it do it (laughs) and and that's something that's in me and I think that's in you as well that you just need to get on with it and and crack on and I I hope rather than what we're talking about because we are talking about death is sad Mm -hmm. and people don't like talking about it but understanding and accepting that that is the reality of what's going to happen it should hopefully motivate you to make a change to take that leap to do that thing that you've been dying to do and to ultimately do what both of us have done and doing work that's fulfilling and growing personally and all that sort of stuff absolutely and you know it's funny there's i'm a big fan of stoic philosophy and they have a saying called a uh, memento mori which means you're gonna die right yeah you'll, you'll die like um and even if it's not motivating for someone to think of that in that sense you know think about the people that you love like they're gonna pass away maybe even pass away before you like um and if you want to be there for the your loved ones your partner your family whatever um mm-hmm do for them you know take that leap yeah. for them i mean it, it's a bit contradictory because a lot of people um rightfully so want to make sure that they're they're going to be able to take care of their responsibilities and absolutely um that's very important but one of those things could also be about taking care of yourself mentally mm-hmm. physically um having control over your time so i know i can be there for my loved ones if they need me to be without having to be trapped to a schedule that you know is unreasonable or something of that nature mm-hmm. so um you know do it for that as well yeah it's like with me i'm like i said about my little one she's growing so fast mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like only a few weeks ago that she was you know not even able to crawl and now 
she's running around starting to say her first few words and and learning so fast and I feel very very lucky that because of my personal circumstances how I've been able to how I've built this thing I'm able to work from home I'm able to see how I'm able to watch her grow and once that time's gone you can't get it back (laughs) and I feel very lucky that I've been able to do that and if I didn't build this thing on the side I I wouldn't have that if I just kept thinking about it it made a difference and I I've, I've said this so many times on the podcast that people always say that they don't have enough time Mm-hmm. but you can always make 15 minutes a day and if you do 15 minutes a day every day for a week that's an hour and 15 minutes yeah, <laughs> and if absolutely. you do that every day for a month suddenly that's over um you know it's between three and four hours a month that you can spend on something so as long as you have a very clear goal right and and you put aside just a small amount of time you know even if it's just waking up 15 minutes earlier or fitting it in at the end of the day whatever position you're in everybody can make 10 minutes and and really make a difference absolutely and if it's very very important to you um you will find the time like you said even if you have to wake up early super early to do it and you know a a lot of it i think this is true for, for everyone myself included it's like you know, what you have time. It's like, what are you, what are you spending it on? Are you spending it on, um, being on social media, which, you know, all of us are, are, are guilty of, which is okay. Just, just be aware and then replace that habit with, with the ones that are going to help you reach your goal. Right. Like you said, that 15 minutes, that hour, um, that you might be spending on scrolling on social media, not even realizing it, just taking that away. And, using it to spend it on that one thing that's going to help you five years from now when, yeah. when you're, when you're finally ready to, to, to do your own thing, or maybe you don't want to do your own thing. You want to work for a specific company, you know, it'll help you get there, help you reach that goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And something you mentioned then uh, was habits. So daily habits, things mm-hmm. that you do, you generally find that the most successful people, they don't, you know build this thing in one day and then the next day they're like a superstar Mm -hmm. it's small things every single day that make a real difference so something I did was post on Twitter every single day and I mean Mm -hmm. that's that's like a two-minute job but do that every day for 10 years then you know 10 years later you have a hundred thousand followers on on a Twitter and healthy habits can make a a massive difference. (laughs) So I think it's good that you brought that up. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I I agree. I think that, um, you know, it's not, it's not the big things. I was just telling this to somebody the other day. It's like, it's not, it's not the big things. It's the little things that you do, um, on the, almost the, the smallest scale. Um, that's what, what builds over time. That's what counts. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with that. Now we have about 15 minutes or so left um, of the interview. So I wouldn't mind spending some time talking about design process. 
Okay. I've spoken to loads of different people now for the podcast and every single time, although there's some overarching similarities, most people work in a different way. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing your process for how you would typically work on a branding project? And the audience is other designers. We love all the nitty gritty details. So feel free to go in as much detail as you wish. <laughs> right. Well, I think that um, when we get a project, it's really important to make sure that um, we're connecting with the client and that we're a good fit. Uh, and usually we do that with the first sales call, just to make sure that not only is budgets aligned um, and, and, and scope of work is aligned, but also make sure that we have the same values and, and, and the same um ideals of being able to work together. You know, we both feel that the same issues are important and that we're going to mesh very well uh, as a studio and client. Um, once that process is, has been completed, we start with um, strategy uh, and discovery. And I think that's very, very important to start with because um, it's important to have a very clear, concise conversation with the clientele, what their goals are, um, what, what, they hope to get out of the project, um, looking at their audience, customer habits, behaviors, things of that nature. So that way, when we do the work, we can actually really focus on who we're doing it for, why, and what the outcome is going to be. So um, that's really, really important. And then from there, we go through a uh, direction phase, which is usually one or two directions, um, depending on the project. Uh, and it gives the client a very good idea of what they can expect, kind of what we're thinking based on the discovery. And that kind of includes color palettes, uh, typographic hierarchies, um, and structure, and a lot of uh, supporting images as well. So the client has a good idea of, of where we want to take the project. Um, and once a direction has been uh, settled, we go to the idea of prototyping and concept development. And from there, we'll do about uh, two to three concepts. Um, We like to do more than one because I find that giving the client a few options is very healthy and I think very um, produces a better better outcome. Um, This is not three completely drastically different concepts. It's they're all loosely connected. But it just gives the client a variety to choose from and, and to see different ways you can look at a project and the way you can kind of go forth with a specific concept. And then once that's taken care of, we go through the, um, the, the prototyping end stage of, of, of actually developing the materials. And then um, the, last, the last little juicy fun bit is getting things back from the printers um, if it's packaging and something like that. And then, and then working with our team to, um, to photograph and style, um, the, the pieces to actually bring it to the market. So that's, that's the general idea of how we, we run through projects. Mm-hmm. I really like that you present initial directions after you do, um, strategy. Is that like stylescapes? And they, um, I've spoken to Ben Burns at the, uh, future. They, they do a lot of stylescape so you're presenting the general direction that you would advise to go but it's not a finished thing is that the type of thing that you're showing at that stage absolutely yeah we just want to give the client a really good idea of where we're going to take it and why 
And again, always linking back to the to the discovery of how is this going to help your audience? How is this going to meet your goals? Why are we doing this? And does it hit the overall target markets and touch points? Um, so the client has a good idea. It's loose. It's not meant to be perfect, but it's it does have to be able to communicate very clearly what our ideas are and the reasoning behind it. Um, so that's a very, very important part. And then once the client feels very comfortable and very excited about choosing a specific direction, then we be able to, we're able to take that and really play with it. And this is kind of where the imagination comes in mm-hmm. when you're concept developing and prototyping. Um, this is where you can actually kind of let your mind um, kind of let loose and, and play and just, just really run the gamut of pushing things as far as you can. Um, so that's, that's the fun, that's the fun part, but that's also the, the slightly stressful part because you're just like, <laughs> I want to, I want to do, you know, I want to really create something that's very, very intriguing and very, very, um, valuable to the client so that they have the best shot in the marketplace, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time you want it to be fun and, and, and all those kind of fun things. So it's a little, little stress there, but it, it's good stress. It's the stress that pushes you to do your best work. Yeah, I think every designer needs that. Most most really good designers I know, they tend to have this seed of doubt in their mind that what they're doing isn't the best thing. And I, I think that's a, a good trait to have because it means that you're just constantly pushing and, and striving to do uh, better work. So it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I also like what you said about presenting options. Uh, it's it's uh, one of those debates that I've seen endless times mm-hmm. in the local geek community. Uh, people have asked, how many do you present? I know like the likes of Aaron Draplin, uh, mm-hmm. because of the speed that he works at, he'll often put hundreds of options together and present those to the client uh, mm-hmm. just to try and agree some kind of direction. But based on a lot of the conversations that I've I've had, as much as I love the one logo approach, mm-hmm. I've come to the conclusion after lots of thought that actually showing options isn't a bad thing. I think it's nice to be able to invite your client into the process in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think what you mentioned about uh, agreeing that general direction initially and then working on some concepts and then putting them together you you mentioned that they are quite similar so they all clearly meet the brief they would Mm -hmm. all be appropriate in the real world Mm -hmm. they all work effectively I think that's the key thing when you show options is that you should be happy that if the client was to choose one of them yeah it wouldn't matter which one it was one of them would work because I've always thought that providing the logo that you create has a certain aesthetic to it. Right. Whatever it is, it should be fine. So, and and the other thing that I've always thought about with this as well is that you give a project to a thousand graphic designers, mm-hmm. there might be some similarities, but every single one of them will be different. Absolutely. <laughs> so, to, so to argue that there's only one solution, I think is ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah. So presenting a few options to your client that, could be right for the business I like to show you know two three options and involve the client so that they feel that sense of ownership I think that's important yeah I think so and I think it also helps you uh push push the envelope a lot more I find that um sometimes you might create a a a product line or a 
um, a prototype that you really, really love and you feel like you nailed it. Um, you know, and uh, there's times where you just, and maybe you have, but, um, when you're pushing to do two or three other ways of looking at this, um, from a different perspective, it pushes you to extend past that initial, I think I got it, um, feeling. And I think a lot of times, often you're left surprised that, oh, actually, I, I kind of like the second concept a lot better or, or the third one actually really nails it more. So, you know, it really speaks to, to the goals and, and, and the idea of, of, of the work itself. And so it mm. pushes you from a creative and artistic point of view. Um, and, you know, and, and it allows the, the client again to see things from a different perspective, a perspective that they may have not have considered, which again, just goes to reinforce the work and, and gives them a better shot in the marketplace and, and allows you to, to really do your job and do it well. So um, that's what I find to be very beneficial for us when we're working on two to three uh, concepts. But I think at the end of the day, whether you're doing one or two or three, just, you know, make sure that, that you're, you're, you're doing the job, right? Um, you're, you're meeting those goals, you're meeting your expectations, you're considering all areas and you're doing good work. I would, I would, I would never present anything to a client if I wasn't happy. You know, if there was a concept that, of course, there's always concepts that you find to be a little bit more favorable or things that you just, you enjoy a lot better on a personal note. Um, but I would never present anything to a client where I literally feel like, oh, this is horrible. You know, here it is. Like, I would never, I would never um, do that. I would take it back to the drawing board and do something that I felt equally as proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- I think it's important to put some stress on something that that you did say and uh weirdly this came up in an interview that I was listening to uh last week with Emily Oberman I, I think uh Debbie Millman did an interview with mm-hmm. Emily Oberman from Pentagram and I I can't remember the graphic designer's name but she worked with quite a famous graphic designer when she was young so so straight out of university Mm -hmm. and one of the lessons that she got from this particular graphic designer was that you shouldn't just go with the first idea that you think is the perfect solution Mm -hmm. like it might be the perfect solution but you still need to go through the whole process to to work out if it is actually the best solution you know to confirm that it's the best solution and Mm -hmm. like you mentioned because you are wanting to present multiple options you don't just stop at that one that you think is great because I've had that so many times Mm -hmm. I've sat down and thought this is the one this is the best thing I've ever done Mm -hmm. but I need to create a couple of more options Mm -hmm. and then I keep exploring and keep experimenting and sometimes I'm like, I can't work out anything that's better than that. And then this thing, something comes up and it's like, this is just so much better than that other option. And mm-hmm. if I was only presenting one, I think I would stop too early. Yep. <laughs> and I think it's good to try and push to that length. Um, but anyway, the, the most important thing is, like you said, and uh, I think I said it earlier as well, is don't present anything that you're not happy with because that that's when 
<laughs> when things go wrong. Because if you presented something rubbish and the client picks it, whose fault is it? <laughs> you can't blame the client because you did the work and you shown it to the client. You need to be confident and happy with absolutely every option in that scenario. Absolutely, because the work represents your client and their product. Also represents you as the the, the agency um, as well. But um, you know, you just want to make sure that you're doing good work. And again, if it, it, it kind of goes down so many so many avenues. Like if you wouldn't wear that, if you wouldn't eat that, you wouldn't give it to somebody else. Yeah. You know, and if if you're unhappy with the work, it has to go back to the drawing board until you feel like. Yes, this is something that you're that you're proud of, and that the client would be proud of if they had it on their product. Um, and that you know, again, it goes back to to that discovery of meet, meeting those goals and making sure that there's a rhyme and reason behind what you're doing. Um, so that's, I think, very very important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good point to wrap up the interview. Um, a really good kind of message to share to the world. Oh <laughs> uh, well. Sophia, I think this has been an absolutely brilliant episode. Uh, For listeners, this is actually the second time that we've recorded this. And I think this interview, because we've spent a fair amount of time together now, this episode is way better than the the original one that we did. Um, I think we touched on a lot of things that should hopefully um, have a real impact on people, especially what we spoke about, uh, you know, not regretting anything and and um you know making the change not just for you but for others and time is uh limited so hopefully we've inspired a few people out there but Sophia thank you so much for coming on and thank you for being happy to do this once again I think it's totally been worth it it's been great to have you on absolutely thank you for having me again um I'm always happy to chat with you it's always so great um I think we 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 really are on the uh, same wavelength in many ways. Yeah, I'm very happy to do this. Thank you again for having me. Hey, you're very welcome. It's been really great to speak with you. You too. If you want to learn more about Sophia Ahmed, head to her website, monographco.com. Alternatively, check out the show notes for this episode where I'll link to that, all of her social profiles, links to any books and resources that we mentioned in the interview, as well as a full transcription too. So to find the show notes for this episode, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 95. Again, to find the show notes for this week's episode, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 95. Now, if you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this interview with me and nearly 10,000 logo designers from around the world, make sure that you're part of the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and it's very active. So you'll get your questions answered, the feedback that you need and the support that you want to grow as a designer. So to find out, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community or do a search on Facebook for the Logo Geek community. So that is it for this week, but I'll see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.